His presence is good, isn't it? It's sweet, it's rich, it's all-consuming fire. And Lord, we pray that as we come very, very close, we draw near to you, you will draw near to us. You're faithful to do that. We can take one step towards you, and you run a mile towards us. Because you're waiting for that hunger in us. You're waiting for that advancement. You're waiting to pull us with cords that can't be broken. Close to your heart. So that we can live there and feel and see and have our perspective from inside your heart. And Lord, I thank you that you are the all-consuming fire. And the more we come to that burning bush, the more we come to be melted at your presence. As you said, the mountains melt like wax in your presence. Then, Lord, the more that fire becomes a part of us, the fire upon the altar of our hearts begins to consume us. Unquenchable flames in our mouth it burns, as Jeremiah 5 says, and in our bones, as he said in Jeremiah 20. We just ask you, that you would impart a burning within us that cannot be quenched. It cannot be silenced. That the things around us cannot put it out or distract it or quench it or disturb it. We want to hear you say what you said to Mary when Martha was very busy with things. And you said, Mary chose the best. And it will not be taken away from her. So Lord, we want to choose the best tonight. And we can have your assurance that when we choose that, to consume your words and sit at your feet, minister to you, it will not be taken away from us. We seal it. Draw each of us in. Deeper, Lord. Deeper. Deeper. In your powerful name we pray. Amen. 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 Sometimes the word of God is the bread of heaven. John 6. Fresh right out of the oven. If you like fresh baked bread, right? (laughs) Smells good. Smells sweet. So after we're on a three-week fast and I pour the word out to the guys, I said, now you just had breakfast. Go home and enjoy. And so that, you know, your, your stomach might be growling, but your heart's absolutely full. Sometimes it's the river of living water, John 3, John 7, out of your belly. Sometimes it's the fire in your bones, as Jeremiah said in 5 and 20. The fire in your mouth and the fire in your bones. Sometimes it's the rock in Matthew 7. Sometimes it's the honey from the honeycomb in Psalm 19. Sometimes it's what you're going to put on your mind to get a new thinking, a new perspective transformed by the renewing of the mind. Sometimes it's the sword of the spirit. Whatever we need him to be is the way we can find him. And you know him in the measure you need him. Speaking of the sword, one time I was doing battle and the Lord said to me, uh, would you just stop a minute? And I, you know, felt like I was waging the sword, speaking the word, declaring it, taking it. He said, hang on, hang on. He said, check your sword. 
And he wanted to teach me something in this. He said, just look at your sword for a minute. And I'm stopping, well, look at the word of God. But from kind of an outward perspective looking in, and I looked at the sword in my hand, so to speak. And he said, does it have blood on it? And I said, well, not, not sure. What do you mean? Like, have I killed a few giants? No. He said, your blood. I said, what do you mean? He said, you're going to wage a war with greater authority when your sword has blood on it. Your blood. And then he started to talk to me. He said, I take the sword of the spirit and I circumcise your heart. I cut away your flesh. I cut away your wrong motives and desires. I do surgery on you. And I use the sword to do it. Because the word of God is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, rebuke, training in righteousness. 2 Timothy 3.16. He said, I'm going to operate on you with the sword. And when that sword has blood on it, because I've done surgery and you've allowed me to do surgery in your own heart. To cut away the flesh and the things that are distracting, the cares of the world, fleshly desires. He said, you will wage a war with greater authority because you understand what it means to be cut away from the things of the earth, to be detached. And you'll wage a war with greater authority. Let me say this about authority too. When we pray, we're going to pray with authority. And we're going to go into a spirit of desperation tonight. And I'm going to explain that. And we're going to ask God for fresh baptisms of desperation as he takes us to new levels. But when I was talking about authority, I said, God, how come sometimes we, we've been successful or we, I don't, not we've succeeded, but different team members. Remember the disciples came to Jesus in Matthew 17 and said, we couldn't get that devil out of him. We couldn't get the devil out of the boy. They weren't successful. But Jesus just said a word and cast it out. I said, you obviously had greater authority than the disciples. So there are growing, there's a growth in levels of authority, right? You grow in authority. And he said, I'm going to give you a key. This kind comes not out except by prayer and fasting. You also grow in authority as you exercise authority, if we never exercised faith, never exercised our muscles, never exercised stepping out and walking in that authority, we wouldn't know how to use it. Now, we know it's given to us because we're seated with him in heavenly places. We know he paid for it because he bought back in the new covenant on the cross the authority we lost in the garden, right? Adam and Eve were told, go take dominion. Go rule, go multiply, go reproduce. They lost it with sin. The cross took the curse. He was nailed to a tree. It's cursed. Jesus took that curse, broke the strongholds of darkness, got back the keys of the kingdom, went to death, hell, and grave, and won the victory to put us back in heavenly places beside him and delegate back to us the authority that we lost. He paid for it in full. But he started talking to me about authority. He said, there's four kinds of authority. And these aren't necessarily levels, but they're perspectives of authority when you come against different situations. And he said, 
One of them is delegated. He said, I've delegated my bride to rule and reign in this earth, to come against the strongholds of darkness, push it back, bring my kingdom down. And I've equipped her and empowered her to do that. Delegated authority through the power of the Holy Spirit. Finish the job the son started. That's what the church is left here to do. So we have been delegated a specific assignment and the authority to go with it. The next one is earned authority. Earned authority are those that exercise it. They, they're skilled with the weapons of warfare. They know how to pray. They come against strongholds of darkness. If they couldn't cast the demoniac off to that little boy and Jesus said prayer and fasting, they go home and go, I'm going to pray and fast and I'm going I'm to be able to do that. Because Jesus said greater works than these, right? So you, you earn that as you, as you walk selflessly, sacrificially, seeking the word, seeking the truth to be like Jesus. In the army, aren't people promoted in ranks because they've done military exploits? So if you're, if you're a captain and you've won great battles, maybe next year you're going to be a major, right? You're moved up in position. In, in Uganda, I mean in South Sudan, I was sitting with this general once and I had coffee with him and I was sharing about Jesus. He had a book on the table about how to take a guerrilla army and make it into an organized army. And they were trying to learn how to do this as a nation from the nation of South Africa. And I said, well, that's wonderful. What are you learning in that book? He said, I don't know. I can't read. Now he's a general, high ranking general. I said, oh, and then I said, well, you are high, very high-ranking, Your Honor. And he said, oh, yes, I got my rank, not from his education, from how many people he killed, from how many battles he won. It had nothing to do with an education. And so God qualifies the unqualified. I've seen people that can't even speak English. I've seen people that can't read. I've seen, and they walk in such an anointing, heaven shakes when they walk into place. They move mountains and walk on water because God's ways are not ours. And they've walked in such a realm in the spirit that they've been taught by God. Not necessarily as the world teaches. They didn't teach, learn that out of a book. So there's earned authority. There's delegated authority. Then there is inherited authority. Now in Africa, we have chiefs in the village. And the chief's son is the next one that's going to be the chief. So if anything happens to the chief, or if he's sick, or if he's gone, you go find the son of the chief. And he's now, not because he earned it. He didn't earn what his dad did to be chief. But because he was, he inherited he inherited the position to be the chief. And so in a sense, it's delegated, but it's because of his bloodline. It's because of his lineage. So we also have an inherited authority by being sons and daughters of the living God. Amen? So there's delegated, there's earned, there's inherited. And then the last one is covenantal. Now, I don't know if you'll find these in a book, and I don't even know if you'll agree with me, but I'm just telling you how the Holy Spirit teaches me what I need to know. Okay, and covenantal authority, he showed me in the word of God where he said, David, I'm going to give you favor, or, or David's kids, Solomon, I'm going to give you favor because I made a covenant with your father. You see that? When God makes a 
covenant with us. We've entered into the covenant he made with our forefathers. And we can stand, but God, you covenanted. Moses reminded God of his covenant to Israel. Don't destroy them. Take me out if you need to. But you made a covenant. Now, if you've born a child, you have more covenantal authority over your children than I do. I can pray with spiritual authority, delegated authority, but I, I can't pray with covenanted authority. You get me? When I go into South Sudan and I'm praying for a tribe in a village, if I do warfare, passionate warfare, and those tribes people are spirit-filled and understand battle, and they do passionate, violent warfare for their land and their people. When I saw this, I said, God, I'm entering into their labor. But they have the covenantal authority. They are of the land. And when you are of the land, you have a covenantal right to be a gatekeeper. I don't own land in Florida. I don't pay taxes here. I don't, th this isn't my dwelling place. But it is yours. You're a gatekeeper. You have a covenantal authority. I can come into agreement with you, but I don't have the same authority over your state as you do. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? Because you live here and God has given you the covenant responsibility of your city and your land. So remember those different perspectives of authority. Now I want to talk about a baptism of desperation. In the book of Acts, they went from infilling to infilling to infilling of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't, they had a baptism of the Holy Spirit experience, but then they got filled again and filled again and filled again, just like we need to. I mean, our tank's going to run empty of gas. It doesn't last for, we need an infilling. We need a constant infilling. There's a difference between being passionate and being desperate. Big difference, okay? You can be very passionate. You say, oh, I love that worship song. Or, oh, I love that person. And you're passionate. You want to spend time with them. Romance, intimacy, okay? Desperate passion is a strong feeling, desire, attraction, affection. Desperation, on the other hand, is a driving force that will not be silenced. It drives you. Live or die. You're driven to lay hold of something. It consumes you with intensity and purpose. And everything else becomes insignificant compared to what you're pursuing. We're going to see in the word where God answers desperation. If we had somebody that was sick and uh, in, in, in the village... Okay, and we're all going to take up an offering so that person, we prayed for him, but he needs to have surgery. We're going to take up an offering so the guy can have surgery. And everybody takes up an offering, and we pray, and we, you know, he goes to the hospital to have surgery. And I've seen this happen. And they send him to the hospital to have surgery, and the surgery didn't take. And the doctor says, well, he may, he may not make it. And so everybody's praying and grieving and that kind of thing. And maybe the guy makes it, maybe he doesn't. On the other hand, I've seen a family where the child had to have surgery. They didn't take up an offering. They sold everything they had to save that boy's life. 
they cleaned out and they said, take our last dollar. And if that doesn't work, we're going to go to the next doctor and the next doctor. That's desperation. The other one is concern. You have a burden for something. You're going to give towards it. Desperation, you're going to sell out. If it's your last dollar, you're going to sell out. Nothing else matters but the survival of that boy. And you're going to go after it with everything in you. And so we're going to look in the word of pictures of desperation. Now I'm going to tell you a, a story because I like to tell stories. And this is a, the, just, just to motivate your face and the faith. And then we're going to... We're going to dive into some scriptures. If you'll write them down, this will help us go into prayer. Because we're going to go into concert prayer. We're going to learn different kinds of prayer. Nothing's new to you. You've done it before. And then we're going to learn, we're going to do some popcorn praying, maybe in the, at that, towards the end of the evening. And that's where we come into agreement with each other. Pop, stand up, read the word. Another one, stand up, pray, stand up, read the word, pop. And we come into agreement. Huh? We just call it popcorn prayer. It's a little different than lengthy intercession. When we're having national prayer gatherings, 11 hours of prayer, we have lengthy intercession times. But when we have a whole group of people and we have a couple of hours, the prayer that is inside of you will spark a fire in everybody around you. But if I never listen to that prayer, I don't know how to agree with it. You see what I'm saying? If I don't know what's in your heart, I don't know how to come into agreement. And things people pray will be deposited in your spirit prophetically that will activate something in the middle of the night and take you to another level. That's what it means to have every joint supplying. The ligaments in the body of Christ. Now we were in three weeks, one or two, three weeks, I don't remember because we fast and pray about just about everything. So I, different lengths of fast for different things. And I was going into South Sudan by vehicle. Now everybody flies there. I don't fly. I go on the roads and I want to go on the roads through the rebels, the ambushes, the guns and all that. Because I said, if we don't ride the roads, who's going to blow the devils off? I said, I'm going to blow the devils off the road so the other people can travel safely. But if we just fly over the devils and nobody wants to touch them, we'll never blow them up and never get them out of there. So that's, I always go the roads. And they look at me and go, why, you love this nation. I said, I love this nation. I lay my life down for it. But I said, God loves it more. And I said, he's given us authority over that. And so... Maybe that's some of my, you know, my, my pioneer heart. Because pioneer heart's blazing a trail where a trail hasn't been blazed. So we've been in prayer and fasting. And, and I'm getting ready to go to South Sudan. And this is just a couple of years ago. And um, in, the, in, in the vehicle. And on this road. It's about an eight-hour trip from, from Uganda up there. On this road, every day, there's ambushes. Every day, killing and... Uh, and, and the, the way the rebels do, by the way, when, when they kill the soldiers, government rebels, all kinds of rebels, demonic rebels, when they kill the soldiers, they put on the soldiers' uniforms. So when you see them, you have no idea, is that a rebel or is that a soldier? Because they're wearing the same uniform. And they get the soldiers' guns. And then they go do ungodly things and corrupt things and illegal things. So they do drive-by shootings to all these vehicles or... They attack a vehicle, they take the vehicle off the road, they rape, they loot the car, they murder, and then they burn the vehicle in that order. So when you're going up that road and you see all the burned vehicles along, burned buses, burned this, that's what that is. And it's on the news so much that we don't watch the news. We just say we're going. 
So I'm in the vehicle that day, and I have, usually I'm, sometimes I'm driving the Land Cruiser, but I had a team, a couple, couple pastors in the front, taking them, because we had rice and beans, food, and Bibles to take to the other pastors up there. And uh, we get to the border, South Sudan. My friends, my military friends are at the border, officers, commanders, South Sudan, they all know me. And so we get to the border, and the friends stop me, the military commanders. He said, you're not going any farther. Up the road to Juba. I said, yes, I am. No, you're not. I said, yes, I am. No, you're not. And he just banged heads with me for a while. And then he realized I was going to do it anyway. So he said, okay, just a minute. So he goes and he he makes a phone call. He says, you just wait here. So I waited for probably 20 minutes, and he said, then we'll let you go. Well, here comes big military trucks with soldiers, fully armed SPLM, about 45 of them. And there was a big truck in the front full of soldiers and a big truck in the back. He said, these are going to be your escorts. I said, escorts? I don't use escorts. I said, I got Psalm 91. I said, you think these guys are going to stop a bullet? And so he said, president's orders. I said, president? He said, yeah, I called, I called Salvacure, president, president's office. I said, what'd you do that for? He said, because you're his responsibility. And he, and he wants to make sure you get there safely. And he realizes you're stubborn enough to go anyway. So here's your escort. I said, okay, sir, whatever you say. So we get in line. And he said, other vehicles would like to go too. Since they're going to escort you, they'll get in line too. Now I know when there's any kind of a convoy going, because I've gone in other directions where it's government's orders to go in a convoy. And when a convoy is going, the con- you don't stop. You can't stop to find a toilet. You can't have a flat tire. You don't stop because rebels pop out of the bush, guerrilla warfare. And like I said, they take you off. It's rape, it's loot, it's murder, burn the car, and that's ever, all the time. So you, you just don't, you just go when you go through. And it's about uh, four or five hours, nonstop, on these roads. So I'm in the convoy, and uh, one of our guys up there is driving, and another pastor sitting in the front. And uh, we, get, we start praying. Minute we start in the car, that's the first thing we do, pray started sharing scriptures. So we were just quoting scriptures from memory, praying over the scriptures. We hadn't actually gotten our, our Bibles out yet, like we do, because within the first 30 minutes or an hour, we get the word out and start reading and praying. And we were about 30 minutes to an hour up the road when the convoy stopped. And there's probably about 10 vehicles in that, in that line with us. So there's a big military truck in the front and a military truck in the back, and the convoy stops. And I'm going, thinking, well, this isn't real good, but I don't know what's going on up there. And you can't bypass, you know, the military. So you just, you just sit and wait. I'm sitting in the back seat. And sure enough, two big old burly seven-foot tribes people. They've got the scars. I knew exactly what tribe they were from. Had on military uniforms, AK-47s. They opened either side of the back door where I was sitting in the back seat, got in the car real fast, squished me in the middle of them, slammed the door, and yelled to the driver, well, you're escort now. You do exactly as we say. Angry faces. Didn't take a lot of discernment to see that they were not South Sudan military. 
And so, but they were dressed in their uniforms. I knew exactly who they were and what they intended to do. You follow us now, get off course. So I told, the, I told David Drive and I said, you do exactly as they tell you to do. So he began getting off course. Now the one on my left, they put their AK-47s between their knees, both of them, just growling. I mean, these guys have been born in blood, 62 years of war, lived in blood, Blood is nothing to shed, no value of human life. They do anything to anybody anytime, and it's mob violence and, and just uh, pre-law, you know, kind of thing. So this other guy on my left, he gets a big string of bullets out of his pocket. He starts rolling his bullets around, puts a pistol on his lap. So he has, he's got two guns. This guy has one gun, so I'm thinking all this real fast in a matter of split seconds. I didn't have time to do any praying and fasting, okay? This is why I'm saying we got to be desperate for God at all times. Because if we're serious and mean business about God using us, we're going to find ourselves in situations that, like Paul, like, like a, a Paul said to Timothy, be instant. In, was it Paul or Peter? Instant in season and out of season. Instant. Be ready. Be prepared. And so he got his, he, he got his pistol. Now I'm sitting there for a second and I think, as many as were led to the spirit of the sons of God. I said, God, what do you want me to do? I said, if I'm going to see you in a little bit, I want to go happy. And so I said, and I said, if you have something to tell me, tell me fast, because I'm going to see you. And all of a sudden, I have no other thought except the word. If we ever think there's an ounce of anything in us that can come against any battle, then, then we're, we're deceived. All right? We can do nothing without him, but we can do everything with him. And greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And he is the word. So I had a box of Bibles behind me, and we had not started opening and reading. We were just praying. I turned around as fast as I could. I grabbed one of those Bibles. I whipped around to that guy on my left. I waved it in his face, and I said, I am so glad you're in the car with us today. I said, do you know what this is? I said, and do you know what the, it has to say? And I said, by the way, what is your name? And I'm just talking like a, like a mad person. Because I found that David saved his life by acting like a crazy man. Now, I didn't think about that till later, but I wasn't trying to imitate David. But I just thought, I am going to get his attention, and I'm going to keep it. And so, I'm waving this in his face, and I'm talking like this, 90 miles, and I'm right in his face. And he's like this, and he says, well, Jacob, a joke or something like that. He has a Western name and then a, and then a Dinka name. And I said, Jacob? I said, Jacob, your name is in here. I said, do you know you're famous? Do you know who Jacob is? I said, and do you know who his dad was? By the way, do you know who his kids were? Let me tell you about Jacob. He was such a famous man. You're named after Jacob. Do you know that? He was spellbound. And he stood there and he put, his, he, put his, he put his gun down. And I went and I said, let me tell you about Jacob's dad. And then I said, let me tell you about his granddad. And by the way, let me tell you where Jacob came from. I started in Genesis. And I talked 90 miles an hour from Genesis to Revelations for four hours. Hey, man, four hours. I don't know if I took a breath, but this word better be in you because you don't have time to read it. It had better be hidden in your heart when you need it. Hallelujah. That's the power of the word. And I said to him, I told 
every Bible story I could, all the way from Noah to Abraham. I've never gotten so happy about Abraham offering Isaac. I was happy about everything. And I'm just so excited. And I went from Bible story to Bible story to Bible story. And I'm timing our trip on the road. David got right back online. And I kept this man totally mesmerized. It wasn't me. It's the power of God's word. This is the power of God unto salvation, Romans 16. 116, to the Jew first, also to the Greek. So by the time I got, I went through all the word, I got to 1 John. And I, was, and, I, and I went through Calvary, but I wasn't going to stop at Calvary because I'm not ready for him to get saved till we get to Juba because people can be saved but not sanctified. And I said, he might get, get a hold of Jesus but still decide he's got something on his mind. So I thought, I'm going to get him saved. I'm going to lead him to Jesus right when we're pulling into Juba. So I took him to 1 John. I'm coming to the end of the word, and I said, and we got to walk in love as he's in love. we got to forgive one another. And I said, and, and we have fellowship with one another. And I said, that's, that's, that's possible when we forgive. And he looks at me by this time. He has hung on every word I've been saying hour after hour. And every once in a while, he'd ask, what'd they do that for? Why'd they do that? Well, how come? They? You know, people love stories. They love Bible stories. And so when I said that about walk in love, he said, Oh, I think that's what our nation needs. Isn't it? I said, Jacob, that's exactly what this nation needs. And that's why I'm here. And he looked at me startled like he's coming back to reality for a minute. He goes, why are you here? I was going to kill you. I said, I knew you were. But I have a message for you stronger than death. And his name is Jesus. Now, hallelujah. By the time we pulled into Juba, and I'm offering him the message of life, whose name is Jesus, both of these men pray after me to receive the Lord Jesus into their hearts. Praise Jesus. Praise Jesus. Never think this word is void of power for a minute. Now, after they pray to receive Jesus... He said, would you come to my village? It's up there by Chad. And he said, it's the killingest village in South Sudan. That's what they say, killingest. It's the killingest. I said, Jacob, yes, I'll go. I wrote down the name of his village. Our missionaries are in his village today. They've planted a church, run a Bible school, and evangelizing that whole area. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So as they were getting out of the car, and we were dropping them off, I said, Jacob... I'm going to give you this. He looked at me. Nobody's given him a thing in his life. He's probably a 19 or 20-year-old guy that's killed more people than you can imagine. They start him at 8. They recruit kids at 8 and 10 years old to be in the military. And he grabbed that Bible from me. He clutched the Word of God like it was a million dollars. Oh, my... Brothers and sisters, if we could value the preciousness and the power of God's word, we would consume it night or day, night and day. We would keep the word playing in our houses. We would keep it scripture memorized. We would write it on cards on our hands, on our forehead, and on the walls, and talk about it coming in and going out like Deuteronomy 6 says. He clutched that Bible. He grabbed it. He said, you're going to give this to me. I said, on one condition. I said, I'm going to give this to you free 
but this is the most expensive book in the world. I said, it costs the Son of God his life to sign it. So you, your promises could be yours. And I said, so on one condition, that you read it every day. And then every day you have to tell somebody what you read. Oh, I'll do it. I promise. He had tears running. I promise you I'll do it. And then I said to him, do you know what that makes you? I said, Jacob, that makes you a missionary. You got in the car as a murderer. And you met Jesus. And he's changed you into missionary. In a few hours. And both of them took a Bible. And made a commitment to be missionaries to their people. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. God can do that fast. What we can't do in a lifetime. When we stay in prayer. And we walk in the word. And that is our hiding place. And our dwelling place. And as Hebrews 8 says, it's the new covenant written upon the tablets of our heart. So I want to talk to you about desperation. Do you know why I go on those roads? Is I'm desperate for those Jacobs to come to Jesus. I don't want to fly over their heads. I want to drive into the enemy's camp and pull them out of the flames. And when we're desperate for Jesus, we will be desperate for what he's desperate for. We'll be desperate for the kids, the souls, the lost that don't yet know him. But we can't be desperate for them until we're desperate for him. So desperation is another level above passion. And I want you to write some scriptures down and you can continue praying into these. But I want you to check your oil. You ever check your oil in your car? If you don't, what happens? It'll burn the engine. Will the engine burn up? Okay. It'll destroy your vehicle if there's not enough oil. We want to be the five virgins whose lamps are filled with oil. So when you read these scriptures, don't say, oh, that was a beautiful scripture. That's great. Put it on the shelf. Say, no. How do I line up with the word of God? How do I line up? And we check. This is a plumb line, Zechariah says. This is a measuring stick. Are we desperate? Do we line up with these verses? What do we look like compared to that person in the word of God? And I want to be... if. If they were desperate in the word and got what they wanted, I want to be that desperate. I want to be consumed by a desperation. Luke 18, and I'm going to go through these just bing, 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 bing. But we're going to pray these and we're going to ask God to follow this word with baptisms of desperation. Luke 18 is a story of a widow that wanted what she needed desperately before an unjust judge. And she banged and banged and banged and banged persistently. Nobody was going to tell her to stop till she got what she wanted. And she did. Jesus said in Luke 18, 8, will I find such faith? He calls persistent pounding desperation, a sign of faith, not a, not a lack of it, a sign of faith. Luke 18. And then we see the woman with the issue of blood in Mark 5, 25. If she was bleeding 12 years, she's probably anemic. Wouldn't she say? She's probably weak. If she touched the hem of his garment, I think she crawled. 
And I think if she had to press through a crowd to get to Jesus, that it was like, this is my last chance for life. But if I can just touch him. She didn't mind about her dignity. She didn't mind about her reputation. She didn't mind if somebody stepped on her and she looked foolish. She had one last opportunity in mind. If I can just touch him. That's desperation. That's desperation. Nothing could have stopped her. James 5.16. The effectual, fervent, intense heat, passion. Somebody that will not be silenced. Prayer of a righteous man. Esther. When Mordecai said, Esther, you know what? All your people are going to be killed. Your whole city. What if somebody came to you and said, San Diego is going to be wiped out. Just gone. And then they say, like Mordecai said to Esther, and you're in a position to do something about it. And you don't have to if you, want, if you don't want to. You don't have to. Nobody's going to make you. But you can go ahead and die. Or you can get desperate to bring a deliverance. That's quite a choice, Mordecai gave her. You can either die or you can get desperate. It's basically what he faced Esther with. And she decided she's going to get desperate. An Esther fast is no food and no water for three days. Desperate. And look what God did. He delivered a nation because of her. Second Chronicles 15, verse 12 and 13. Very interesting scripture. Israel was faced with an enemy they couldn't handle. They went into prayer and fasting. And this is what they did. In, in Second Chronicles 15, they made a covenant to seek the Lord with fasting and prayer in their desperation. And whoever would not do that would be put to death. Now, don't call a fast like that in the church. Whoever doesn't is going to die. So, but that's pretty serious, isn't it? They took it seriously. So there wasn't a game. It wasn't a take it or leave it. I don't feel like it's a different. No, it's a different mentality. Joel 2, God says, you want to save a nation? Disaster. He said, let the priests, let the ministers come. Weep between the porch and the altar. In other words, get rid of your dignity. Get rid of your traditions and religiousness and cry out. Spare your people, oh God. Spare our children who are being murdered in the clinics. 24-7. Spare the youth. Spare the city. And they cried out. Look what God did. He restored years the locusts had eaten. He filled their vats with wine and their barns with plenty. That's revival. And he poured out his spirit upon their sons and their daughters. But the priests, the fathers, the leaders had to become desperate. Isaiah 62. Watchmen on the wall cry out night and day, night and day, night and day, night. Do not keep quiet. He said, is it because God's sleeping and deaf? No. It's like he's saying, how bad do you want it? How bad do you want it? You know how much evil has prevailed? We need a season of good to prevail. We need a season for God to fill up those bowls of the intercession of the saints. And then he tips them. He said, cry out until I make your city a name and a praise. I call her Beulah, not desolate. I call her married to the Lord, sought after. Wouldn't it be something if 
People could say that about our streets and our schools and our kids again. Married to the Lord. Protected by him. Acts 12, after James was beheaded, the church got desperate enough to call an all-night prayer meeting for the sake of saving Peter's life. And God sent angelic deliverance. All-night prayer meeting for one person to be released. That's a sacrifice, but to them it wasn't because that was lifestyle. They lived lifestyles of desperation. So it's not a sacrifice. There's no complaining in all of that. What about Genesis 32, 24, when Jacob is wrestling with the angel? He said, I'm not letting you go till you bless me. Can we get a hold of God like that? God, I don't care if it's a midnight hour and I'm standing alone with you in the closet. I'm not letting go until you've changed me. God wants to see that tenacity in us, that passion and that longing. And Jacob got changed and redeemed to his, with his brother. Deuteronomy 4.9, seek the Lord with your whole heart. If we come in to pray and you got half your heart somewhere else, at some theater or doing some entertainment or asleep, and half your heart's here. We won't get the visitation of God. He wants to seek him with our whole heart. Body, soul, and spirit pursue him. My spirit pants for you, David said in, in Psalm 63, as the deer pants for water. Psalm 42, my tears are my food. I want you so badly. When am I going to become and behold the face of God? Everything in me yearns. Psalm 84, my flesh and my heart cry out for the living God. A yearning, a longing, a desperation. Hebrews eleven six. those who diligently seek the Lord, not half-heartedly, sometimes take it or leave it, diligently will find him. Amen. Lamentations 2.19. Get up and cry aloud at the head of every street. At night, you got to be desperate to leave your bed when it's cold and you're comfortable and you're in deep sleep and get on your knees and start doing battle. But that's when the devil does his darkest work. At night, we need watchmen on the wall. And he said, cry out at night for your children that are being murdered and killed at the head of every street. Matthew 7.7. 7, Keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking, not just once, over and over and over. What about Mark 2, when they tore the roof off? I don't know if Pastor would like it so much if you banged the hole in this roof. But there was a neighbor here, and he said, I couldn't get in the door. I, got, I had to bring, I had to bring my friend, because he's paralyzed. And that was the only hope, and they put him down right before Jesus. That's desperate to tear a roof off, isn't it? Somebody's got to fix that. Somebody's going to pay for it. They didn't care. They're not thinking about any of that. I got to touch him. I got to get a hold of him. I got to be there. I don't care what it costs. And there's that, that fervency. I love Matthew 15. Here's a mama that's coming and praying for her demon-possessed daughter. Now, we won't show our hands, but some of us may be dealing with a child under demonic oppression. Right? She knows who can set her daughter free. She comes... Syrophoenician woman, she comes in Matthew 15. She put, she, Jesus, 
deliver my daughter on behalf. Now, mind you, the daughter was not with her. Can Jesus deliver somebody from a distance? Yes. There's no distance in the throne room. Just like he sent his word and he healed in Psalm 103. And so she falls down, deliver, deliver, Lord. And you know what Jesus says to her? I mean, I'm thinking, I don't know if I'd have the guts to say that, but he can say anything he wants. He said, I came to the lost sheep of the tribe of Israel. I didn't come to the Gentiles. In other words, I didn't come to you guys. I came to help those guys over there. The lost sheep of the tribe of Israel. And this lady has so much faith that I don't care who's listening. I don't care what they thought of. She didn't care about opinion. She didn't care what she looked like. She had no more dignity. She's on her feet, on her knees. It says she worshipped him. And she said, but even the dogs get the crumbs. If I'm so insignificant, Lord, that I might be on the level of a dog, even they get something. And I won't go home without the crumbs. That is tenacious faith. That's a desperate mama. And she got what she wanted. Genesis 30. Rachel threw herself at the feet of Jacob. Give me children or take my life. That's a pretty serious. Give me children or I die. That's a pretty serious statement. Do we want God that badly? Do we want him in our cities that badly? Song of Solomon, chapter 3, 1 to 4. She got up in the middle of the night looking in the streets for her beloved. Has anybody seen him? Where is he? She asked everybody, have you seen my beloved? Have you seen? And it says when she finally found him, she got hold of him and she would not let him go. I remember the Welsh revival. Those fathers of faith after the revival waned grabbed hold of another father of faith right here in America that went to visit that scene and grabbed his shirt collar and looked at him with piercing eyes. And he said, whatever you do when you get that revival, don't let go of it. So desperate. But we got to sustain the revival with the same intensity as we did to attain it. Pressing in like that. First Kings 4. What about the woman that Elisha said? She was barren and, she's, and she had a son, right? So her son, because Elisha stayed in her prophet's room. And God gave that woman a son, the desire of her heart. That son died. He's about seven years old. Now that woman, you know what she did? She saddled up her horse. Her son's dead. She lays him up in the bed where Elisha usually sleeps. She said, I'm going after that man. I am going after that man. I don't care where he is. I don't care how fast I have to ride. She rode like a crazy woman. Her husband says everything. It, it is well. In other words, don't ask me. Don't bother me. Don't disturb me. It's going to be fine. But I'm going to lay hold. I'm going to lay hold. Another person, where are you going? It is well. And when she gets to Elisha and she throws herself down at his feet and he says, Gehazi, you go with her. Take care. She says, no. No way. I'm not settling, as Moses said, for an angel. It's got to be your presence or don't take us from here. And she said the same thing. Elisha, you come or I'm not leaving. And she got her little boy back to life. That's desperation. First Kings 18, Elijah was too. So we could go on and on. I love Bartimaeus, Mark 10, 46. And here's this blind man. He hears. Wow, something's happened. Commotion. People getting healed. I hear the teacher. I hear this man. He says, me too. Me too. If God's done something for somebody else, and he's doing this in Africa, and he did this in the word, and women got their children raised from the dead, Hebrews 11 says that. Me 
too. Me too. And so Bartimaeus says, I want to see. And they're telling him to be quiet. Have you ever had anybody around you say, what are you fasting all that time for? You're just wasting your time. What are you doing wasting your time in the prayer closet? I said, well, Mary wasted her ointment on Jesus' feet. And he said it was the most precious thing being done, if you want to call it waste. But Bartimaeus didn't care. You kidding? Be quiet. Jesus! And he acts radical and foolishness, calls screams louder. Now, Jesus knows everything, right? He knows a guy is blind. He can hear him, but he lets him scream louder. And then even after he screams louder and he turns around, maybe he's going to let us scream louder. Because when we get desperate, we throw aside extra baggage. We throw aside the weight that so easily besets us. Hebrews 12. I don't know why I was doing that. That's not very important. We didn't need that. We didn't need all this extra stuff. That's not very important. And we find ourselves shedding the things of the earthly to gain the things of the heavenly. As Paul said in Philippians 3. I want to I want to get rid of those. I want to suffer the loss of it so I can win something greater. And so Jesus heard Bartimaeus, but he turns around and he goes, What is it you want? Well, my goodness, Jesus knew what he wanted. But he likes us to tell him. He likes to hear it from us. I want more of you. I want to be changed. I want you to do something different in my heart. And that's what we're going to pray tonight. I don't want to be the same today as I was yesterday. I want you to make, uh, wake me up if you want to at night. I want you to dissatisfy me with the pleasures of the world. I want you to change my desires. So Bartimaeus said, I want to see. And because a man was willing to scream louder, he got his vision back. He was restored vision. And sometimes when we've lost vision, what is it you want? Scream louder. What's my destiny, God? I don't know my calling. I'm after you. I want purpose, fulfillment, direction. And God gives us our vision. He restores our sight back again. Desperate. Desperate, desperate. And then one more verse. 1 Corinthians 9, 27. Paul said, I buffet my body. I make it a slave. In other words, I enslave my own passion, interests, and desire so that I can win the more. Isn't that great? He said, I'd rather win the more than go buffet it. So I'm going to buffet it. You know, we want, we, we want to sometimes be cushioned. But Paul knew what it take to win the more. And then uh, Jeremiah 8.20. Jeremiah's eyes weeping. He said, the harvest is over. We've lost a lot of souls, guys, in America. We've lost a lot of souls. Would you admit? I don't know what the number of abortion is. It's got to be over 50 million by now. I went up to D.C. into somebody's house that had been prayed, praying for 20 years, and he had the number on his wall. That was a long time ago, and it was 42 million. And he kept trying. He'd weeping. He lived his life travailing, looking over the, the White House. And... We've lost lives. We've lost souls. We've lost youth. 
we've lost a good part of a generation, even with their identity. Jeremiah said, my eyes are pouring down like water for the slain of the daughter of my people because they are no more. And he said, I'm going to just keep the weeping prophet. Weeping, weeping. But isn't it wonderful? He was also the one that said in Jeremiah 31, verse 15 and 16, Rachel weeping for her children and would not be comforted. But Jeremiah said in 16, you can stop weeping now. They're coming home. They're coming home. So it's a time to weep and a time to rejoice, a time to travail, a time to war. But all of it must come from the motive of desperation. God knows if we're serious about his business or if we're half-hearted. He knows how bad we want it. He knows those who seek me with a half-heart might find me. Does he say that? Seek me with a half-heart and you might find me. No. You seek me diligently diligently with everything in you, you will find me. You'll lay hold of something you've never had before. And the desperation that he wants to baptize us with comes with heaven's urgency. It comes with an urgency in the throne room. Why is God in a hurry? Why is he in a hurry? He's not, he he doesn't get in a hurry about some things that we're praying for because he's waiting to get the right hearts and the right alignment, but he's in a hurry after souls. It's not his will that any should perish. He's, he's urgent. There's this urgency in him to put our city aright, to put it back to order, to see the repentance of Nineveh, what he's looking for so that he can add years of grace Because there's a generation that doesn't know their right hand from their left. That means the city's full of kids, youth, children. If the Lord came today, how many would be lost? How many dying? If we could get gripped by the heart of God, that's what I want. I want him to grip me with what he's gripped for. Paul said in Philippians 3, I want to lay hold of you. I want to lay hold of you for the purpose that you have laid hold of me. I want to lay hold of you so that you get me, all of me, gotten in the grip of God for the purpose that you have for my life. And that's what he's waiting from us. Because unless we draw near, unless we desire it, he doesn't force us into his will. He calls us. But why does it say many are called and few are chosen? The chosen are the ones that, I want it. I want it all. That's what he said to the chosen. You're hungry. You're desperate. Don't leave me out. I'm coming in. I want every single thing you have. Baptize me again and again. Consume me. With the all-consuming fire. Until I eat and sleep and live and breathe and drink. Heaven. He created us for the supernatural. You know that? We were created in the image of God. And he's a supernatural father. Why are our youth looking out in all kinds of places for the supernatural? Because they can't find it in us. They can't find it in the bride. So they're looking for it because they have a vacuum created by God. He created us to walk in another realm. 
And if we and if we're not walking with it in him, the devil will sure come in and go, here's a dose of the supernatural. Take them off in another direction. And pretty soon they're in the wrong camp. So the vacuum is already in the heart of man. We just gotta see God pull them back. God, what it'll take. God, we want to pull them from the fire. But do it in me. God can't repossess San Diego. Oh, where are we? Anaheim. Sorry. God can't repossess Anaheim. I wake up in the morning and go, whose bed am I in tonight? So I don't know. <laughs> like Goldilocks and the three bears. I'm just, and so, yeah. I've been in a different city almost every three days since September. First to September. So God can't repossess Anaheim. That fully belongs to him, by the way. Because he paid for it in full until he's repossessed us. I wrote this in my journal once. He said, slaves, we talked this morning about slaves, sons, and servants. Slave mentality, asking God for supplies. Give me this, give me that, do this. He said, slaves ask for supplies. Sons ask me for cities. Sons ask me for cities. Psalms 2.8. Today I have begotten you. You're my son. Now ask me for nations and I'll give it to you. He, he confirmed sonship in that passage. And then he said, now you ask me for a nation. I'm going to trust you with it. You're a son. You know who you are. You know you're, you're an heir to the kingdom. You know you have authority. You walk in me and, and, and live in me. And you can ask me for cities and nations. I want to give it to you. But then you got to go get it. Right? You got to go get it. So we're going to stand up in just a second. And we're going to go into prayer. This is for a little bit later. So don't worry about that. But it's just scriptures about sons and daughters and children. That kind of thing. But we're going to go into concert prayer again. And I feel before we go into the prayer of agreement, however long the Lord wants to take in praying till he changes us. We're going to pray. We're going to cry out. If you want to wail, wail. If you want to cry out, cry out. If you want to lay between the porch and the altar, whatever you want to do, say, God, I want to get up on the altar today and you bring the fire. I'll be the sacrifice. You bring the fire. And if I think I'm going to jump off, then tie me down. Because I want all of it. I want you to change me. Repossess me. Change my desires, my motives, my vision, my perspective, my direction. Grip me, possess me, repossess me. Change my thinking, change my talking, change my spending, change my eating, change my going. <clears throat> Change me and baptize me with the desperation we've just read about so that I can lay hold of you in new levels. I don't want complacency. I don't want compromise. I don't want lukewarmness. I don't want half a heart. I don't want on and off. I don't want a drive-through. I don't want a drive-through. I want to come in to the table spread before me in the presence of my enemies. And I want to sit down and feast with the king at what you have provided and supplied. This truth and that truth and that. What a banquet. 
I want it all. I want it all. And I want us to just cry out. And we're going to spend some time asking God to transform us into the image and nature of his dear son. And I say, God, no matter what it takes, do it. Now that's given him a lot of reins. But no matter what it takes, send me where no one else ever wants to go.